I wanted to see how how teenagers are growing up through social media. I interview a 71 teenager at the age of 14 to 19 about what they are doing on Instagram, what they are posting and how and why. And my question was regarding three perspectives of their uh, uh, growing up through Instagram. The first one is their class disposition, the class uh, social background how it, it affects the possibilities you have to display a good and a visual presentation of yourself on Instagram. And usually you don't think about it because you say, okay, Instagram is free, it's for everyone. So there will be no uh, injustice or class issue on Instagram. It sounds almost like the opposite. The second was the gender uh, and sexuality regarding selfies specific on girls' Instagram from different uh, class background. And the third was about ethnicity and race and especially skin color. Like what I'm showing is that you have a new model of beauty on Instagram and it's not white, but it's not black either. Hi there, welcome to the podcast, What Are You Going To Do With That?, of the Minerva Center for the Rule of Law Under Extreme Conditions at the University of Haifa. I'm Dani, your host, and I'm a PhD candidate who's interested in the academic journeys of early career researchers. I chat with them, hoping to get some tips and tricks to go about my own journey. And today I'm chatting with Inbar Michelson Drori, who is a PhD student at Barilan University, focusing on Instagram, ethnicity and gender. Inbar has been overloaded with awards for her research, both during the MA and PhD phases. And in addition to journal articles, Inbar has written opinion pieces in newspapers and presented her work at international conferences. However, before I say more about Inbar, I'd like to invite you to visit our social media accounts on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, where you will find more information about our former and future guests. If you're looking for more PhD advice, Check out our YouTube channel and the blog on our website about imposter syndrome, writer's block, and much, much more. But first, let's get back and introduce you to Inbar. Inbar Michelson Drori has a BA and MA from the School of Education at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Her MA thesis is titled Ethnicity and Gender in the Lives of Working Class Girls. She didn't only graduate cum laude, but also received a few awards for outstanding students. It is therefore not surprising that she continued her research as a PhD student at the Sociology and Anthropology Department at Bar-Ilan University. Here, Inbar focuses on Instagram and the construction of class, ethnicity and gender. She therefore also calls herself an Instagram and social digital researcher. Scholarship kept rolling in Bar's way, including the University President Scholarship for Outstanding PhD Students of the Barilan University and the Fund for Excellence in Research from her own department. But most notably, Inbar has received the Israel President Scholarship for Scientific Excellence and Innovation, which is very impressive, I have to say. Inbar teaches her own course at Barilan. In addition to the academic articles she is working on, Inbar has published opinion pieces in the Israeli newspaper Haaretz, and she has presented her work at various international conferences. So, 
Welcome to our podcast, Inbar. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thank you. It was a long introduction and very embarrassed one. But, you know, it makes me feel that I uh, just now can go and write because you gave me like this a perception of myself. It sounds really good. It does sound very good. And you did all of that. So you don't have to be embarrassed. Uh, I think it also calls, especially with all the awards, uh, for some cheering. So let me pour my regular amaretto that I brought with me. What are you having? Well, I, I, I have a regular coffee. It's not even a capsula. It's just plain coffee, but, but I, I really like it. Um, it's really the time for a coffee. Yes, I, I feel like I either needed a drink or a coffee, so... I went for the drink in the end, and you for the coffee, but we'll both get better from it. All right, so cheers. There you go. Cheers. And Lechaim. Lechaim. So I'd like to start with a few short questions, as I usually do, whenever you're ready. Are you? I am. Cool. So the first one is, what does your usual morning look like? Okay. Well, actually, just yesterday, I had a new agreement with my husband that my morning will be not with the kids. So my routine is like get up at around 10. So this is something new? <laughs> I'm sorry to say that, but I'm a night walker. Okay. I write well only when everyone is going to bed. I envy the people that get, get up in five and start to write. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to sleep around four and I'm waking up around 10. And yeah, my mornings are hard. I'm not a, a morning person. And, I, and what I noticed is that after I give myself some time in the morning to like to get together and realize and do a little meditation and and drink coffee and I'm writing I'm writing journaling uh, every day since I was 13 wow yeah so after I'm, I do this practice I there is always a struggle should I begin with what is urgent or should I just go into writing mm-hmm this stage of my life I'm, I'm only focusing on the, the to finish my article and submit my PhD so so it depends uh, most of the time I usually go into writing right, right ahead because the journaling gives me some like morning exercise of the brain right it's like yeah so that's what I, I can walk like two hours with no interruption and then I need a, also the break, the, the end, like when the day go long. So I noticed that like I need a, an hour break. Like I can only relax and like start over over if I have a long break. Okay. Like lunch or something or something different I can yeah it's it's with lunch but it's I don't like to talk to people so much okay (laughs) so it's usually me and the music a lot of music it's very important so the days goes long go long like like if I'm not teaching I can write for six hours with breaks 
And the sad thing is that the, at the end of the day, you still have the urgent things that you didn't took mm-hmm. care of. Mm-hmm. So that's the problem of this method. But it's, it's, it's a great for writing, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, well, if the writing is most urgent for you at this moment, maybe, it counts as an urgent thing too. Listen, it's, it's a... I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing this PhD, it's my sixth year. And I thought that I would finish it like after four years and because I, I had my, my subject and my area. And what I found out is that uh, you have a phrase, uh, you have a saying in uh, Italian that they say, if you want to go fast, you will have to go very slow. Okay. Think about it, about research. If you want to go fast, I want to go fast. I want to finish my PhD. But you have to go very slow, meaning like it's a very delicate writing. You need to put all these different views and research together. And you need to be very, like it's a high level of concentration at the end, mm-hmm. not in the research like phase or at the beginning, right in the end when you're writing the article. So what I mean to say is that the term fast or morning or night or hours, it's all changing when you get it into your writing mode. It's different. You see what I mean? Yeah, I understand. Uh, in the, my morning is also starting very late, usually. Um, I was a bit annoyed when I had a few guests in a row who said that they woke up at five in the morning and started doing all kinds of things. And I was like, wow, am I the only researcher who doesn't do that? But I've actually had a few guests after that in a row who are also not morning persons. So it just really depends on their personality, I suppose. Yeah, but, but, but you have to also, I, I read a few really great books about it. And, it, and I am I'm always amazed how people feel PhD students, candidate. They feel that they're not working hard enough. Mm-hmm. And it's only until they give themselves a permission to be like whoever they are, the way that they write, the way that they do their craft, only when they give themselves the permission to be like that, it's like something is 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 not feeling so stuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel like I'm a little bit of like a freak where I live. <laughs> These jobs, like I live in in, in close to Tel Aviv University, Ramat Aviv. And they don't understand what I'm doing. You're sitting at a a coffee shop and drinking coffee at 10 (laughs) o'clock. A little bit strange people, I think, us researchers. And we need strong conviction from the inside that we are hardworking, even if we are getting up at 10, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. It's a lot about your own uh, satisfaction with what you're doing because you're not getting it from anyone else, right? You don't have a boss who tells you, oh, today you had a good working day. Like, I'm, I'm glad with the work you put in. And we do have supervisors, but it's not really their role, I think, at least, to do that. Not every day, for sure. So we need to tell ourselves to be able to get that satisfaction out of what we're doing. And that's very hard. You need to be a strong person and also, you know, happy about yourself to be able to tell yourself that. So there's a lot of self-care that needs to be involved. There's a lot of... But let me ask you this. What? I'm sorry that I'm interviewing. Sure, no, ask me. <laughs> Let me ask you this. 
what kind of a, a boss are you to yourself? It's like, I remember that one time I thought to myself, wow, I'm the worst boss ever. I would never hire myself as a <laughs> boss. And this is what is going on, you know? Right. So if you look, what kind of a boss are you to yourself? And I mean that in the, in the internal voice that we are talking to myself, I'm, I'm a very hard person with myself. And like you said, we are alone here and uh, we are the boss of ourselves. And you don't want to get stuck with this kind of a boss. Mm-hmm. It's one of the big challenges. This is the question that you have to ask yourself. What kind of boss are you going to be for yourself? I think that's a very good one. That's actually good advice. I am going to ask you two more short questions before we actually dig into your academic journey. Um, so... The next one was, what is your favorite game to play? Okay, it will be FIFA. Okay, interesting. FIFA football, yeah, uh, PlayStation. Actually, I grew up with three brothers. I'm the only girl, second one, and up in the north in Kaumier. Okay. And my brother, you know, the, the connection between boys and, and toys, digital toys is very well known. And I always want to, to be as good as them. And when I got to college, to university, to every university, we had, I met my, like, my, the one is, that is now my husband. We mm-hmm. used to go to PlayStation with his friend. And it was like, you know, like they testing you as a girl. Right. To see if you're the right kind that can hang out with us, play, play like FIFA. And I was very good at it. The ultimate test, and you passed. Yeah, I, I, I really love soccer. And, yeah. That's very nice. Okay, another question I'm curious about your answer. Um, I saw that the first space tourism trip is scheduled for this July. Would you ever try space tourism if you had the money for it? Actually, I know the people that are building this project. Really? Yeah, it's like by chance, but I have to say that I wouldn't do it, but I love the idea that my 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 daughter, my youngest one, she wrote about it and she's very interested in the subject. So I love the idea that you can dream about it. Right. For me, no, I need my stability. I love <laughs> Earth. And gravity. <laughs> and gravity, I really need my gravity. <laughs> I understand. I think I feel slightly the same way. All right, so talking about discoveries, let's talk a little bit more about your research. Um, I usually start at the beginning. With you, I'd like to start with your MA. You have a BA and an MA in the same field. And your MA was actually a success, to say the least, because you graduated cum laude. You received three awards, including for Outstanding Student and Best Thesis. So... How did that happen? How come you were so invested already into your research in the MA phase? Well, uh, <laughs> I have to say that it was very personal uh, for me. Um, the thing was that, uh, that I always had this paradox inside me because I, I didn't grow up. Uh, my, my, my parents are not uh, educated people and uh, 
again grew up uh, in a culture that education, we were, we were very um, pushed to be the best and to use education to level up our class. Uh, but I came to, to university and I always kept on working as, um, as educational, uh, I don't know how to say, a social change activist in educational um, NGO uh, project. And the place that I, I worked for a few years was uh, the city Lod, which is close to Tel Aviv, but it's leveled four. Uh, in the social background of people uh, against eight and nine of Tel Aviv, uh, north, north of Tel Aviv. A big difference. And other places, yeah. So I came from a low uh, class family um, and I, I got married, I moved to Tel Aviv, from Jerusalem to Tel Aviv, I kept on with my life. And what I noticed is the way that girls from Lud, from Lockless uh, City, could be excellent and great students and volunteers in their neighborhood and schools, but outside of their town, it's a different story. Okay. So I am, I'm, 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 it, it, like my life was, I was like 20, I don't know, 25, 26. And my life was like, from one hand, we have the academia of the School of Education. I, I, I've been in this uh, special volunteer, like youth movement of my life. So it was a big thing to me. It was like the, I don't know, I, I, I used to feel it like they brought me to the hall of, of, uh, of knowledge. Hall of Fame. It was very a big thing to me to go to university. But at the other end, when I went to to my day job, I saw like this really injustice relationship uh, that society in Israel like telling like the starting point of the girls that I used to work with. It's not a respectable um, and valuable identity that you give up front as my kids get only by living in the neighborhood that we live. All right. So, but, but I saw this contradiction between the power that they feel and the belonging that they feel in the group, in the, their class group, and the, the reaction they get out of, of the city. And that's a, that's a point, you know, when you see something that it doesn't like add up, how could it be that the boundary, the symbolic boundaries like Michel Lamont saying, the sociologist uh, becoming a really hard and thick uh, social boundaries that change people's lives. Like 10, 10 years today after that uh, more than 10 years, those girls, they didn't get to, to college, to university. So I'm not saying it's because of, I'm not trying to show, you know, straight up uh, connection. I'm, I'm, I studied the, the culture, mm-hmm. uh, the, you know, the culture in the sense of the gender rules and 
and the way that they, they look at uh, Mizrahi girls in the Israeli society. And I called it cultural survival, I call them. Okay. They have to survive in a society where the society is always suspect them. Always suspect them that they are not as, you know, valuable as other persons, other girls in the, and they, 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 the way that they grow up is managing this situation, is looking at themselves 10 times before they leave the, the house, mm. is trying to stop rumors, it's getting a boyfriend so you will be protected from gossip, and it's not going out, you don't go out after, yeah, I, I, my, my thesis was really, I got four years invested in it and, and it really closed some part of myself, my inner story. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, and I'm glad it's over. <laughs> <laughs> I understand, yeah. When you have something really big you want to say to the world and it's over, uh, it's amazing to, to realize that they got what you want to say. Yeah. All the prizes and the interviews and the, it was like, yeah. A recognition, right? Of I really managed, in. it was, yeah, it paid off because I succeeded in getting through their voices. That's really beautiful. Yeah, but, but the hard thing is to, to get you convinced that they are not stupid. They're very rational actors, you know? It's like, that, that's the hard thing, not to get their voice out so that people could just, I don't know, feel sorry for, for, like, for those girls, girls. But to say, listen, they are working so hard to get themselves distinguished. So mm-hmm. pay attention to that. So you kind of took them out of the box that society had put them into and show like, hey, you put this box around them, but it's not like that. They're out of that box. And this is it, because this is what my research is. So that's pretty cool. But it was very hard because my advice used to say, but they are. Really? She used to like try to, to object. What will people say? Okay. You know, I used to tell, you know, everyone is asking you, what is your PhD about? So they, they used to ask but and I used to say that it's about how Israeli society made up the slag, slut, frecha stereotype and how girls need to deal with it. So one man told me, are you sure it's a made up, it's a myth? Wow. Because I'll show you some, some of those girls. You see? Wow. That's tough. But it, again, shows how important your work is. Yeah. Yeah, got me, got me walking harder after he said that. He just wanted to show me some. You know, that people couldn't get the idea. It's not true. It's like, really, it's, it doesn't exist. And he was even mansplaining you. Like, he wasn't even only talking about these girls that are the subject of her study. He was actually telling you as a female researcher that you have no clue what you're talking about because he knows a few girls, you know? Yeah, I didn't thought about it. It was very man-explaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't thought about it. I think you're right. 
But you know, people are sociologists by nature. I just want to hear their, their, their thinking. But everyone is a sociologist, you know. I like that part about interviewing on this uh, show. <laughs> so I understand what you're saying. Yeah. So the, the MA and the thesis, it took four years, but it was worth it. You were recognized with a lot of prizes. And of course, then at some point you were like, okay, I'm good at this. So at what point did you really decide that a PhD would be the best option for you to continue? And why did you change universities? Because you went from Jerusalem to Barilan. Was it difficult to find a position or to find a supervisor? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, really great question because I didn't uh, went right through to my PhD. It was really hard time. Uh, I, I eventually, after two years, uh, I decided to quit. Research. Yeah, quit researching and not doing this. And it was, I had a lot of reasons. And one of them, the first one, is that how to put it gently, it wasn't fitting uh, the, the fact that I was already married. Okay. I was already married and I wanted to have a child. It didn't fit the expectation that uh, people had uh, toward my, my academic career. Okay. Oh, I don't know if you know, but, but you know, it's, it's happening the same age. Like if you, for some people, some women, Tell me about it. So it took me two years uh, to find, I knew what I wanted to study because I knew that I love being a, a youth research, mm -hmm. love this age. I can talk with them forever. They're like, for me, they're the last grown up that are going to tell you the truth, you know, and <laughs> have this like vulnerability, teenagers, so... But I didn't know how and where, and I couldn't stay in the Hubie University because it was my second uh, child. So I, I want to say that it's, if you want to find an advisor in Israel, it's very hard if you don't have the cultural and uh, social uh, capital. Meaning that if you not have the connection, so, because I don't know how it is in other programs. Actually, I do, but uh, like, let's say Holland, you have few positions mm -hmm. for every department. It's very organized. You get paid, you get even uh, like all the social benefit. And the downside size is that sometimes you have to wait until it's your turn to get inside and do the PhD. In Israel, it's the opposite. Everyone can do a PhD in the social science, almost. Almost everyone, like meaning you have to go through exams and you have it, but they don't uh, force you to be in this structural uh, program. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the system of Israel, of higher education in Israel. The pro and, co and cons, like, so when I decided eventually that I would do this, I decided three things that was important to me. First, it has to be subject that I could, that I would love with no, like, um, I, I knew that you have to 
to be so close to it so many years, like, like my, my MA, that it was really important to me to find a question and a field that would be fun, that I would enjoy researching. Just like the slogan on your cup that says, what does it say again? Do what you love. Just do what you love. Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry that such, it, it, is, it's, it gives you strength. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, I'm going to be six hours a day on Instagram. What's bad with that? When I said, okay, I want to, to research teenagers and where are they there today? They're on the media, the digital media. I can't ignore it. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's it. the second rule was that I want to get paid. Really? Fair enough. Yeah, I had a few um, offers. And it was important to me. I wanted to get paid. I, if, I, if I won't get paid, I have to work 100%. Right. So it was very clear to me that I don't have any. And the third thing was that I wanted to find advisor. I wanted to find a relationship that I could talk honestly. That's it. Like, I didn't thought that it's, Other things are important, and today I can add a few points to that list, but it was so important to me to feel like that I can speak honestly, and, and that's what happened, actually. It sounds kind of crazy that these things were so important to you. Uh, I think, especially for people who are not in academia, and I was like, but these are very normal things. Why are these so hard to find? Right? Like we're talking about getting paid. We're talking about having a normal relationship with the person you work with and, uh, and doing something you like. <laughs> that is ideally something you look for in any normal job. So I'm glad that you brought it up because it is important that when you start your PhD that you have some demands. I, I think that you see what, what we are talking about is that you need to normalize the PhD period. Mm-hmm. You have to like when you have a very different state of mind when you think of yourself as a student. Um, I'm a student and I'm a worker. And I can say that the, for sure at the beginning of your PhD, that's what everyone's feeling. I'm a student and I'm not very even the best <laughs> because but I think that the, the important uh, like turning point, And it should come like from the earliest as you can. We need to look at ourselves as worker of knowledge. That's how I, I consume like, like that's how I uh, think of myself today. That's what they want us to do to produce knowledge. Mm-hmm. Well, I am very glad uh, to hear that you did reach all of your goals uh, starting with the PhD. Uh, and I hope it's going to stay that way until you finish. So tell me a little bit more about your PhD research projects. Uh, you said you're writing uh, articles, right? You're not actually doing a dissertation. And what is the topic exactly? Maybe you should elaborate on that a little bit. So um, I wanted to see how how teenagers are growing up through um, social media. And it, because um, I'm a sociologist and digital sociology, it's, it's in very beginning stages. 
So there is, I wasn't um, like doing a PhD that I could copy from someone the, the, the way that I'm going to investigate this question. Because if you think about it, if you want to see how Instagram affect a different, uh, I interview a 71 teenager at the age of 14 to 19, about what they are doing on Instagram, what they are posting and how and why. And my question was regarding three perspectives of their uh, uh, growing up through Instagram. The first one is their class disposition, the class uh, social background. How is like economic capital, money, how it, it affects the possibilities you have to display a good and a visual presentation of yourself on Instagram. And usually don't think about it because you say, okay, Instagram is free, it's for everyone. So there will be no uh, injustice or class issue on Instagram. It sounds almost like the opposite. And so the first thing was economic capital to see how uh, I compared um, like three groups from different class, uh, middle and low class. The second, the second was the gender uh, and sexuality regarding selfies specific on girls' Instagram from different uh, class background. And the third was about ethnicity and race and especially skin color. Teenagers from Lud that are Ethiopian talking differently about the Instagram experience, the social media experience of being a black kid uh, on Instagram. And you have, on the other side, you have like youth that is, is uh, regarding their skin color as a luxury, as, as a place that they can like invest in their self, tanning and doing think about like like what I'm showing is that you have a new model of beauty on Instagram and it's not white but it's not black either. Interesting. I wouldn't have known. And are you writing about these about this project in a dissertation or with uh, multiple articles? So I really wanted to write a dissertation, monograph, And eventually I have a book in my mind that I want to to write at the end after the PhD. Okay. I can say the name and no one would steal it. I'm not sure. That's your own decision. (laughs) I think it's a great name. I want to say to give your feedback. But I have a a whole book. But writing articles are so hard. It's a craft Mm -hmm. that I felt like I have to learn. And the only place that I could learn is... PhD, so I decided to do the hard way, and um, and now it's easy. At the beginning, I have to say that it's a it's another point where where I, I, I was I was uh, I don't know. You need you need to come to come with some uh, cultural background to, to not feel so. I I I don't know. Uh, do you write article? It's so hard. I, I know it's hard. I'm writing a monograph, but I've, in this corona year, put in a lot of effort into uh, 
into publishing and I've had a few rejections and I'm still working on revisions. So I am, yeah, it's a struggle. You have rejection and you're still working. Yes. That's, that's, that's amazing because when you, I, I don't know how I, to get a rejection, it's, it's a really, I think that you just get up and kept on writing, right? But when you think about it, when you're writing the article, it's like the last thing that you, it's the, the thing that you want to avoid, mostly. Mm-hmm. And I envy you. <laughs> What I'm struggling with is that, um, you know, you can always make your article better. Right. Especially if you like theory like I am, and you can always like add another circle of interpretation and another theory. Mm-hmm. And it's endless. So I'm trying now just to finish three articles. Each one is on a different subject. Pack it and say goodbye. Okay. Well, I hope it's going well. Do you have a deadline in mind for your own PhD? I do. I hope that it will be behind, like I have this conference on the first of the the beginning of September in Spain, I want to be there PhD free. Okay. Wow. Fingers crossed. Do you have to have your articles published in order to receive your title? No. And actually, um, that's a shame. You know, there is different rules between different universities. So I don't have to have my article published, but my advisor, uh, very professionals, Uh, in their field and I think that you know it's not like different university that there will uh, I know you have to publish so it's going to take so long it's different mm-hmm. I don't publish but I have to go away like to submit something that will be as good as publishing that's the criteria so it it means that you have to that you Like it should be in the level of submitting and, and okay. it's just save you the time to wait for the answers. So you trust your supervisors that when you get the title, because the articles to them would be good enough, you'll be able to publish them. Yeah. And my, uh, yeah. And, and I have to say that it's also a decision that you make in the beginning. I was uh, introducing my, my thesis at a conference and my advisor today, like, like, approached to me and asked like and we started talking but but I don't think it's happened so much that like they approached you and and uh, and what I'm saying is that the choice that you have to make is about the advisor is also how uh, high you want to go I don't know if it's the right word but I think people are going in different direction mm-hmm. I want go as high as you can with the theory and the research and new method methodology that I, I invested in and and it's not it's not uh, you know you have to, to to understand like from the beginning that your advisor will be uh, you know the one that fit for your uh, like the way that you imagine your journey right? Mm-hmm. Like my advisor, they are like, I love Pierre Bourdieu and he's, 
and that's his specialty and it's I can't understand how people like doing PhD with advisors that don't understand their field of area, their field that they're studying, you know? Right. And you're also saying it's not only about the field you're particularly in, but also that your supervisor is on the same line as you are about your goals. Like, what is it you want to get out of your PhD and how are you going to get there? Um, and I think that's important too. Yeah, I think that that's the painful point in the in the between student and advisor that sometimes they don't see eye to eye they we got they like can get really disappointed if you're not uh, declare that you want to go through the whole journey of academic career mm. probably know it but it's so strange to like to me like growing up in this area of of uh, all the, 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 the work, like the, the job market and everything is so flexible and only in the academia you have to, like to write, to sign from the beginning that you want to be there like until the age of, like until you retired. It's, it's so difficult for me. Like, I don't know where I want to be in 10 years. Like, let's do this and then we'll see. But in the relationship, I can understand the advisor that in the relationship of the of this work, you want to invest in someone that will be the next generation. Right. Yeah, it's it's academia is is like someone it's um I think it sometimes put up a dream and most of the time it can't uh, cover the check. You know what I mean? Well, this kind of leads to the next question which is usually the the question I ask because this is also the title of the podcast. Um, what are you going to do with that, right? Once you have the PhD, how do you see yourself continuing from there? And is that something you have spoken to your supervisor about? Well, it sounds, it will sound not modest, but I will just say that I got an offer to get a, how do you say, a taken, like a seat. Okay. Of a college, small college. That's really exciting. No, it, it because it was at, after two years of my PhD. And I said, okay, what I'm working, I'm working so hard and they gave me the job now. So why do I need to keep like the, the race if I could get just to get, but it right. wasn't a good college. You know, it's a college, it's not a university. It doesn't have the research budget and extra. And my advisor said to me, both of them said to me, you're selling yourself short. If this is what I offer you in the beginning, wait for the end. Mm -hmm. It's very stressful. And I found out that today I'm, I'm in a very different place. I know that I'm going to take my PhD and first of all, continue to study the, the question that I care about with my colleagues in the post doc and yeah, but more than that, I think that because I chose to work about a, a subject that is very, you know, in the world, mm -hmm. I investigate. So I'm not afraid I have so many plans. I have a social project that I'm, I want to advance. And 
and I want to, to get my PhD at the end as a book. So the, the information will be like, as far as I can reach the, the audience. And, and I have, I, I think that um, I'm not afraid about the next step because I never left uh, the job market. Right. Only, only in times that I need to focus on writing. But I never saw academia as something that is apart from life. I, from the beginning, I understood that it won't give you stability. It won't give you, it won't pay enough. It won't give you any, uh, and even if it does, I'm not sure that I'm the kind of person that could be in the same office for 60 years. So anyway, I, I understood from the beginning, it's a problem, mm-hmm. you know, but what are we there for? We are there to, to, to you know, to research and to, to find the truth. I'm, I'm, I'm not, not truth in the big sense. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. So what I decided is that I will do what I love and I don't, I don't rely on the university to take care of me or to, to promise me something from, for the future. Mm-hmm. I involve, I'm always involved in few projects. I still like, I have like, because my, my, my subject, they, I, I, I'm lecturing the bigger audience and like every few weeks I have a lecture because it's Instagram and you have so much to talk about it and everyone is interested. Mm-hmm. So I'm not worried. That sounds like a very healthy way to look at it. That uh, I know you... it took me many years of crying. Don't worry. <laughs> it's many years of crying. That's just today because I'm, 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 I got this advice from my my great great professor that I had in the first degree she said listen she came back to to academy after a few years like at the age of 40 and she said listen don't give up on the real world I she was uh, also teaching in in a, in a <clears throat> it was in Jerusalem and she said the professor from education department used to 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 stop her and said, how many kids you have today in a class? Okay. He was a teacher in a class on the high school and also a researcher in the Hebrew University. So there are education department researcher, mm-hmm. but I don't know how many kids there is in class today because they, they, the last time they saw reality, like class, real class, you know, and be, it was a very, very, you know, many, many years ago. So I didn't want to be like that I did, right from the beginning. Right, not to be stuck in the ivory tower, as they say. Yeah, it, from the beginning, yeah. So I don't have, I don't, I feel that I'm, I'm not in the same position. And it's good, it's good for your health not to be de- dependent. Mm-hmm. It's good that you're in that place. And I hope that soon you will be done with, at least a PhD, so you get to write your book. I'd like to wrap up with a few other short questions. And the first one of those is, what do you consider to be your most important contribution to your field? Wow. <clears throat> wow. Uh, I, w- I hope that it will be the contribution of seeing youth 
not as a unity of group of people the same age, but the way that they are growing up in a very different ways. And the way that the, the digital media is like a new symbolic uh, um, challenge and burden on them, on lockless uh, youth. And I, 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 I hope, I don't know if you know, but there is a classic book about uh, a teenager and it calls it by Paul Williams. And it calls, why do working class kids get working class jobs? Like why this reproduct through them? And this is what is on my mind. How is the uh, through digital media uh, we can see reproduction of class, gender, and ethnicity. Um, I don't want to make a big contribution, really. I just want to be in the in the to get a seat by the table and be in the conversation. It's enough for me, really, because I admire the like there is the, the British sociologist women like Beverly Skag and the, the class researcher. I admire them to be in the same room. It's like, um, I'm so grateful, you know? Nice. Okay. But I'm sure that by the time your book will be out, there will be plenty more contribution to your field. But yeah, if you're satisfied with the things that you're already doing and the impact that you have. Nobody, nobody research class on the digital media. So far away, nobody. They, they, the research is treating subjects today, the, 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 the people as, you know, much more as global citizen, mm-hmm. as universal global citizen. And to look at class, at the individual experience, uh, it's, it's something that it's uh, really very, it's very nice that you are studying uh, something that it's really emerging. You're not putting a little thing on the cake. It's like a new cake. <laughs> you know, digital sociology is like for, it's like I'm, I'm talking about maybe 10 years of sociologists that are using the Baudier perspective and it's, it's really new. So it's different for me. So maybe that fits to the next question, which is who has impressed you most with what they have accomplished? There is, I think, feminist researcher like Beverly Skag and Diane Ray and Michelle Amont. I, I look at them as sociologists that managed to get inside the conversation, claims, that they could make only from their perspective that uh, intersect gender, class, uh, race, you know? So when I look at them, you can feel that it's important to them. When they are talking about injustice and inequality and you can, you can, you can, uh, you listen to them. I listen to them better because I love the way that they, um, I hope to be like them in the way that they have influence because they convinced the scholars that their point of view uh, is something that you need to to take they really succeed to make it in the in in the hard 
place of argument, convincing, and evidence. Mm -hmm. And after the years, you can see the difference because at the end, you can see that big, big scholars have a corpus. They have okay. this, you know, mm -hmm. the theory, it's two decades of developing theory and you can see it grow and grow. And like, this is how I imagined my, like my work that you have that uh, basically all your career, you're going back to the same question that got your mind busy at the PhD mm -hmm. about inequality of youth. But you go back at the same question over and over and over again. All right. Well, thanks for that. And then we actually got to the last question of today. And that is, how do you relax after a hard day of work? Uh-huh. <laughs> hey, wow. I, my synagogue is my coffee shop. Can I say that? <laughs> yeah, you can. Because uh, I, I live in Tel Aviv, I really love the, it's so privileged. I, I work at coffee shop and I usually end uh, the day with my, my uh, I, I, I'm going, I'm getting back home. Uh, I'm walking outside of the house, but I'm getting back home and I'm saying to my husband, let's grab a, a beer. And, and it's right across the, my home. So, when I'm doing that, I, 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 you know, it's because I grew up in, in different class, whatever I'm joining, I'm always, always thinking, wow, it's so privileged. <laughs> it's amazing. It's like... <laughs> That's all right. But everyone wants to enjoy the coffee. And if you get to, you worked hard to find a position that is paid for so you can afford that coffee, right? You know that that I I, I uh, you know your research, you know how uh, when you feel like you know that you are the best expert on your research subject, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking about like the job and, and and the way to get paid. I keep thinking about that in these days, the content, like your podcast, the content is the king, right? Ideally, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have this, this thinking of I'm making an interesting uh, contribution because um, uh, my, my question, they don't have easy answers. So as long as I will do something that it doesn't have easy answers and the public, like the, the general public will be interested in, so I'm sure I will somehow manage, like get along about the, the payment, you know? It's a choice that I make. I wouldn't, I wouldn't investigate something that is, uh, uh, I would say, um, something that is very niche. I left uh, literature. I, it's, it's a choice that I make because of the, the academic situation that I'm telling a lot of my students, choose something to investigate that, that in the future, you can do something with this knowledge uh, in some industry, interest, like some companies outside. Your knowledge is important. Just from the beginning, decide important to whom. Right. And those are choices you have to make right when you start. No. It's like, I think you can make it 
along the way also. But yeah, when you start, it's the, yeah, I know what you mean. I think it's my, my background that I, I look at the PhD and say, no, I have to, to get living from that. Okay, so I study digital media, even if the PhD won't work, it's it's a big area. It's a big industry. It's like I have I have this knowledge that I I consider myself like it's a it's something that I have to give. I, I can give for for um, companies outside. Also in industry, yeah. I don't want to go there, right? But I prefer not to. But but the best researcher in my field. She's what she's uh, Dana Boyd. She's handling. She's the manager of the Microsoft Research uh, Institution. Wow! I think we all have a Plan B. Um, I've also had someone tell me that their Plan B is to open up a restaurant if the That's PhD results. Yeah. So. But what we, about the knowledge there. that they produced? Yeah, that's that's a question that he probably has to ask himself. Uh, but he's actually doing really fine right now, so he doesn't have to think about a restaurant yet. And let's hope that you will also be able to stay within the research that you love, so that you love what you do. So thank you very much, Inbal, for joining our show today. And I'd also like to thank the audience for listening again, or maybe even for the first time. Don't forget to check us out on social media and connect with us and with peers. And while you're at it, please do subscribe and let us know what you think. Do you happen to have Instagram in Bali? I do, but it's a private one. <laughs>